probably very true with that. If you look at any society that does not read, where are they at as a society as a whole? Of course, as I said, and you, you, I think you agreed with me, by not reading books and assigning books in the schools, they are the, the political forces that promote this policy, I think, have, uh, have achieved a method of gaining more power. Yes. And it's not just choosing a book or assigning a book to read. You have to have a book that has value to it. That's right. Not just like Lord of the Rings. Read Lord of the Rings. Yeah, it's a good book. It's what was the name of the book? Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it was good. Yeah. But if you go into a book that actually makes you think about society, and we have 1984, we have Tolstoy, you have so many older books that make you think those are the books we need to be reading in school. They do, you do need those books. Mm-hmm. As I think those books, they are the only way these great books, I think, uh, I'm a fan of, of the older books, these type of books. I'm not saying the modern books aren't of value. They are. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more recent books, I can name some. Arthur Miller, for example. By the way, uh, and do you have an explanation, Melissa, as to why in our system certain forms of artistic work have disappeared. One is poetry. One is live drama. Uh, why is it those things are gone? See, I don't know. As a publisher, I look for poetry and I don't see too many poets that are out there anymore. I don't see them saying, here's my work, let's put it out. There's only one page. I don't see this as a publisher. And I but there was a lot, a lot of, it, you know, America had a lot of very mm-hmm. fantastic dramatists and playwrights. Mm-hmm. Arthur Miller, Tennessee Williams, uh, Eugene O'Neill, I should name three. These were very able playwrights. Mm-hmm. And these people and, their, and the kind of work they did is gone. It is. Nobody no. reads it, nobody sees it. No, we don't see the Broadway plays anymore. If we do, it's the same one that's been showing for the last 50 years. You know, we've all seen Cats, we've all seen Venom Opera, we've all seen uh, West Side Story. These are very good plays, but we don't have people making theater like that anymore. Let me, let me, you're raising some very good points. I really enjoy discussing this with you. One thing I have noted is that the American musical theater was extremely viable and, and dynamic in the 40s and 30s and 50s. I can name some people like Rogers and Hammerstein, South Pacific, Oklahoma. These were, these were very, very good pieces of work. Uh, and I note that the, uh, the I'm particularly noteworthy to me is that the songs in South Pacific, like Some Enchanted Evening, Young in His First Time, these were love songs of their time. Yet in our present society, 
there are no love songs. No. <laughs> there are not true love stories anymore. I've gone back to watching uh, TV shows from the 90s, early 90s, just to get a love story that actually makes sense because it's a true love story. Or it's, Do you have an explanation as to the disappearance of love in our society? Instant gratification. Mm-hmm. Everyone's wanting instant gratification. They don't want to work for a family anymore. It's what's new and shiny today. I can get new and shiny next week. Uh, so... Um... Uh, as you say, uh, there, although there were some more recent musical offerings that were quite good, like Fiddler on the Roof, mm-hmm. West Side Story. And, by the way, that, Leonard Bernstein was a fantastic, very talented man. He was. He wrote West Side Story. I know he West was, Side Story. I know Fiddler on the Roof very well. So uh, also Fiddler on the Roof. And also My Fair Lady is a more recent musical play that was that was fairly good, mm-hmm. uh, but right now all they do is revivals. Yes, we do not have new materials. We have no, we lost don't. this. Do you believe that the reason is politics, commerce, money? They don't first person has to have money enough money to get one, their show on. Money is one thing. It is very hard to write something and get funding for it. Tell me if you agree with this. I'm interested in your insights on this issue. In our society, much of the work that we see produced, whether literary or musical, those are two examples, they gain their positions through politics. Maybe. Maybe. I'm not sure. With literature, it's not so much politics. And as an author, I can contest. It's Tell not- me about your books. I want to know about I'm interested in your writing. Tell me about your books. Oh, I'm a fan. Of, okay. Mostly I write fantasy if I'm writing books. If I'm oh, writing, you write fantasy. I write fantasy. Ray Bradbury? Sort of. I take uh, Dream Rawberry and I take Harry, um, Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling's, and I kind of mix them up a little bit. So if you take like Star Trek and you like uh, Harry Potter and you like Star Wars and then yeah, you throw I like some, Star Wars. I like Star Wars. And then you throw some dragons in there and that's pretty much what I got. <laughs> right. But it's very hard as an author to find your audience. Are, who Do you, for example, there are certain fantasy authors that mm-hmm. have sort of interested me. One is Ursula Le Guin. Uh, and the other one is uh, Tolkien. Okay. Tolkien was a fairly good writer. Mm-hmm. But do you, do you believe that many people write fantasy today? I see more fantasy authors than I do nonfiction authors. Hmm. Tell me about your fantasy books. I want to know about them. I think I'd like to get them. Um. Fantasy, well, it depends. If you read it as they were wrote, you get the story to be a little bit, you're starting in the middle of the series. And this is the first book. I designed it this way. 
What was the book called? Uh, New Reign of Light and Dark. Really? I got to get it. <laughs> well, it's right out on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Walmart, Target. That's really great. So you start in the middle of the story and you're coming into a teenage woman, you know, 18 years old, to run a country that is torn apart by war and famine and is completely not what it should be. But then you go to the next book, which is a prequel, and you find out what was here isn't what was there 3,000 years ago. And they're starting in a civil war in the galaxy. And there you find out this little country that Nisha in the first book is in is actually part of a greater galaxy. How many fantasy books have you written? Uh, altogether, 17. How many? 17. That's really great. That's fantastic. I'd like to get them. I'll, I'll uh, Google your name uh, on the Google bar. I'll get a hold of your books. Do you, do you like C.S. Lewis Narnia books? I do. You do? I love my Narnia. My daughter, those are some of the first books she read in kindergarten. Really? Kindergarten? Kindergarten. I had a reading Indian covered in kindergarten. I had her reading chapter books before she was in first grade. Really? Yes. What, did, what, did, what was she reading like in kindergarten? Like uh, let's see. Kindergarten was things from Shannon Hill. They were Indian and covered series from when I was in school. Um, Narnia. She loved her Narnia books. It was... Oh, I see. I think that was covering kindergarten. Mm -hmm. Then we went through there and we got bigger books like Harry Potter. I so you were, you were bringing her into the culture, the more advanced culture at a very early age. Yes. She's very lucky. I made her read every day. She's very lucky that she had you as a mother. Uh, I, at least at one time, I had her reading encyclopedias. What did you have her read? Encyclopedias. Oh. We, we had the encyclopedia of the human body. You know, that was her first science book. That was now, first. I, I read the autobiography of John Stuart Mill. He was a British philosopher in the 19th century. He was, I think the education that he was subject to is every person is capable of. Mm -hmm. He was learning classics, Latin and Greek by the time he was three or four. I read his autobiography. Do, do you think that, I think everybody, every kid has the potential to be that. They do. They I do. was teaching my daughter Spanish, Italian and French before she was in fourth grade. That's really great. That's fantastic. She's fantastically uh, lucky and and now she doesn't. She no longer speaks those languages. She had you as a mother. She was exposed to it. Is we teach our kids what we want them to be exposed to. I have the knowledge that my daughter is not going to just get her education through a eight hour nanny that we call education. Her education doesn't stop or start when she goes into school. Her education starts with me. 
So she was getting exposed to these books and ideas and concepts uh, by the time she was in kindergarten and first and second grade. Mm -hmm. That's really great. I would like to talk to her. She must be a very developed, how old is she now? She is 18. Now she here's the very thing, my daughter developed. is what? autistic. Go ahead. She is autistic. So it takes her longer to pick up on things, but when she picks up on it, she goes. And if you take an autistic child and you start developing them more advancedly, then they can go further than what we as a society say they can. So you brought her quite far at an early age, quite far. So she, um, I imagine she must be a great person to talk to. She is fun. She is, she is my light in my darkness. Uh, let me tell you this. Uh, I read this, I told you, I read this book by a guy named Mortimer Adler, and he made another comment in that book that would be very unacceptable today. I'm not saying you have to agree with it. Mm -hmm. People can have their own opinions, as I said, and they, they're willing to comment. He said the Bible is the basis of Western culture. Now, maybe some people are not going to like that. But... We look at it as it's a tool, it's a story. If you take the stories and look at it as a fictional view, mm -hmm. even if you don't apply everything to it to your day-to-day -day life, you can still find little nuggets to apply to what's going on today. That's true. Uh, I'm just concerned. My concern, Melissa, is that, uh, first of all, our young people are being told that the past has no value. Yeah. It's gotta be within, within two years to pay, maybe one year, maybe six months, I don't know. But they, do, they are told that the past and past work has no value. Mm -hmm. Do they believe that? They're told to believe this. I have raise my daughter with a different thinking than that because I read I am a historian I love my history why do I love history so we don't repeat it we can learn the most intelligent people in the world learn from others past mistakes so we don't repeat it in our that's lives right. that's right uh that is so that is so true uh when we we when you don't know the past right you are going to make mistakes mm -hmm. that the past could preserve you from mm -hmm. if you know it yep if you're a business owner if you look at other businesses to find out what mistakes they made then you won't repeat those mistakes in your business if you're a parent if you go to your parents mistakes what mistakes did you perceive as a child you can fix those in your children. But now we take and our children are being told that another person's past, another person's history does not, is not relevant to them. And that's wrong. It is wrong. Uh, 
so you you have a significant interest in history. Mm -hmm. And do you believe that our society, well, first of all, let's let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Do our schools teach history anymore? They teach a political propaganda, whitewashed history. It's not history. I don't know what it is, but I can't call it history. Is the is our historical uh, presentation uh, based on race on racial politics? It is. Yeah. I'm not prepared to deny that the black race and Asian races and other races have contributed to society and that I should know about it. I don't deny that. I don't deny it either. At the same time, if I'm going to teach the Revolutionary War, right, example, it's not just America versus Britain. There were other races here. There was Native Americans. Why are we not teaching what the Native Americans contributed during the revolution. Yes, they actually did. They were quite active uh, on the, in, the, uh, in the fighting. On both sides. On both sides, right. And also in the French and Indian Wars, before mm -hmm. that, the Native tribes were quite involved. They were. They were. But we don't teach that. No. We don't teach the part of that as well. Not as prominent as they were in the revolution, but they were there. Well, um, do you believe that the uh, presentation, the historical presentation of the Caucasian race being, hold on, I got a phone call. Hello? I'm, I'm doing something right now. I'll call you back, okay? Well, uh, the, um, do, you, do you see the white leaders of the revolution and the Civil War as, as, as people who were racist? Were, were they racist to today's views yes were they racist to their views no because it was a different time period they had a different educational and different value system but they managed to establish a society which was an improvement mm -hmm. on european aristocratic system it was an improvement it wasn't, wasn't perfect it wasn't it was an improvement it's still not perfect, but it's an improvement. It's an improvement, right. And you have to take what you know and build on it. You can't just say, we're gonna make a totally radical change or shift in government. We have to build on what is already there as a foundation and then go from there. It's not gonna be perfect. Do you believe that America is a, is a, is a classless society? Classless? No. Classless, without classes? No, they definitely have classes. Are and the classes economic? They're economic and political. Uh, do you think they'll ever 
ever be a, a system in the world where there are no classes? We are striving for that. Will it actually happen? I doubt it because you always need someone in charge. You can't right. have everyone in charge of everything. You have to have a leader. Do you have an explanation? I know this is an extremely controversial question mm -hmm. and it's not meant to offend anybody as to why the African-Americans in the United States fall behind. Well, there's a couple of different ways reasons. One, our education is not systematic across the board. If you go to an affluent community versus a uh, inner city community, the education's not the same. That's one. Then you go to the views that they're taught. They are taught that you need A or B or C. You have to work for this or you're not valued. Instead of being able to rise up and being taught properly, it actually brings you down. They are taught to be brought down. And that's not right. Well, do you believe that what has hampers our African-American brothers and sisters is a legacy of slavery? No. No? That is 150 years ago. Right. Give or take a few years. But we have been able to, since 1960 to now, if we just narrowed it down a little bit, we have to work for what we want. If you're sitting at home on the couch eating potatoes and complaining because you don't have a job making $22 an hour, what are you doing to better yourself? Are you getting an education? Are you bettering yourself? You don't have to go to school to get an education. You can go to the library and read a law book. You can That's go true. to the library and read books on governing. You can go to the library and read a book on any subject. There That's are free resources out there to get an education. You have to have the initiative to do it. Why, again, I repeat this question, Melissa, and I'm very interested in your answer. Why, given the, the resources available in the public library, why people don't go? I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. I really don't. They don't know what books are? I don't know if they don't know where to start or their told doesn't hold value. It don't help them get ahead, which is not true. Any, I have a friend and he's of our American race. He started out homeless, literally homeless, living on the streets of Texas. He and did. It, he did. He put himself through high school, went into the military because what does the military do? It gives you a sign-on bonus. It gives right. you an education. He was now worth almost $300 million and he started off homeless. Let me ask you this, Melissa. I know I wanna hear what you have to say. Do you believe that the failure of our educational system 
is solely preparing people for money and commerce? And that's no. it? No. You don't think that's a problem? Uh, it does not teach you how to value money. It does not teach you how to balance a checkbook. My daughter, who's 18 and very smart in her own way, does not value money. She does not know how to have a bank work. She does not know what interest is. She does not know how to pay bills, why bills are cost so much. Mm -hmm. This is from the education. And I have worked with her till I turn blue and she doesn't grasp it. Hmm. That's amazing. Do you believe that her education has limited her in some way? In some points, yes. But we are almost out of time. So where can our listeners and our viewers find more about you to continue the conversation? Um, do you have an explanation? And I'm going to throw this in front of you. I know it's controversial. I know it's something you don't want to talk about. Can you explain why the Asian culture produces educated, super educated people, whereas the black culture produces nothing? Oh, if you go to the schools in Asia and you look at their curriculum, from the time they are in kindergarten on up, they are challenged every day to learn. I love the Asians curriculum. Now yes, I like the Asians. I do. I would I have been asking for them to implement some of the Asians curriculum here in the US for years. Because we when I was in school to um 2000s when I graduated, we were 10 years behind Asia in education. We are now more than 25 years. I have noted where I live in New York that the Asian students, Korean and Chinese, many, not all of them, Alyssa, but many of them get into the most elite high schools, you can imagine. And they also, uh, the term elite, I don't like to use that term because I don't have contempt for people. They're struggling in many respects but they managed to get into the top schools. They get into Harvard, they get into Princeton. Why do they are able to do that but other people can't? Because they apply themselves. They what? They apply themselves. You think they work hard? They do work hard. Uh, I have friends in Asia, in Asian countries, mm -hmm. and they, get up, they do their schoolwork, then they do extra work. From the time they're in kindergarten, they're taught from helping others to serving others, to advancing their culture, to doing, learning different languages, to learning advanced math before they're in fifth grade, to learning their sciences, to learning their history, Everything is more advanced. What we're teaching high schoolers, they're teaching in elementary school. Uh, so um, you think it's the culture? 
that it produces the, these results. It is, and it's basically because the government over in Asia, in Asian cultures, has said our children are our future. We have to teach them. We have to get them to think. Now, there's parts of that culture that also produces, they don't want you to think outside the box. They want you to think politically what they want you to think. But education for sciences, for math, they want you to be advanced. I, I, as I said, I have a great liking for Asian culture because I think they, they let me put it this way, they produce people that contribute. Mm -hmm. They are contributors. They produce people that are contributors to society. Correct. That's my opinion. Mm -hmm. They do. And I can't understand why. Uh, and I, I don't want to blame any particular race or anything, but why is it, for example, most Hispanics work in kitchens or whatever when they have a library? and the potential to learn right in front of them every day. I don't know. We have, as a society, said, you have this knowledge, this is where you're going to be. Instead of, I have this knowledge, I want to aspire to be more. Do you think that it is possible that these other groups, for example, they come from a society and culture where that possibly their parents have never seen a book. That is possible. Or they, have, they don't know what a school is. They don't know what college is. It's possible, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So those kids, their chances are not to be so great. No. However, my brother-in-law, his family, his mother was an immigrant. She came from a country that didn't have education for her. And she came to America with her kids. And he was the first one to go into the military here in the United States. He graduated from high school, not because his parents, his mother did it, but because she wanted him to aspire to be more than her. It's how we treat our children. Well, I want to see a society where every child is given the biggest chance available. That's the kind of system I want. That is a system that we should have. It is really. I want, I want, to, I want to go to these kids and talk to them about what ideas and concepts and books are important. I want them to know it. I feel, I feel as adults, we have a duty we do. We have to get into the schools. We have to, as a society, fix the schools. If we're not fixing the schools, our children are doomed to fail. Uh, as I said, Melissa, I'm sure you agree with me. Uh, I know I like children. I, mm -hmm. I like them mm -hmm. because they're very smart. Mm -hmm. The little ones, four mm -hmm. or five, they're very bright, you know. They're very open-minded, they're very insightful. And uh, I want to, I like talking to those kids and asking them, what books are you reading? Tell me, 
I asked him that question many times. Mm -hmm. And if you talk to a four or five-year-old, you're going to get an answer of cat in a hat. You're going to get the answer of see Jane run. We don't challenge our kids. You have to challenge them. But as I said, I still say, correct me if I'm wrong, because you're a mother, mm -hmm. uh, that little kid, kids have great, great potential. Mm -hmm. Maybe huge potential beyond that of an adult. Yes. It's true, isn't it? It is true. Yeah. And um, our schools waste the potential of these wonderful children. They do. They waste it. They teach them what they think they're capable of doing instead of challenging them because we have this no child left behind. So we dummy down the education instead of challenging the kids. We have to challenge them. Yes. Uh, and um, they are, as I said, with a four or five-year-old, and maybe, maybe less than that, they are capable of great, of great things at that age. They are. They, they are, their capabilities are huge at that age. Maybe it's because they, they don't have confused minds like adults. Maybe they, they have more time or something. Their minds are clear. I don't know the reason. All I know is they have huge intellectual potential. That they do. And we are out, out of tanks. Andrew, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really enjoyed it. And send me a link, okay? I will do so as soon as this is out on YouTube and Spotify and Apple and all those wonderful places. Terrific. I really enjoyed the conversation. I, I don't get to talk to people that oh. are more as, as developed as you. Well, you need to. <laughs> <laughs> you have so much great insight on so many different areas and your well, insight needs to be out there more. Because my insights come from talking to people like you and developing my thinking. It's the only way. It is the <laughs> only way. Okay. Have a good day. Have a wonderful day. And for all of our listeners and our viewers, happy reading. <laughs>